Coming up on Money Beat, more news out of Valiant, and the M&A market continues to chug along. This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Everything you need to know about money and the markets, and then some. Hello, and welcome to the Money Beat podcast. This is Steve Grosser. I'm joined in the studio with David Benoit, Marie Bedette, and Eric Holm. And if uh, today's show feels a little bit like deja vu, there's good reason. We're going to be talking Valiant and... Um, M&A. Uh, Eric, I, I want to ju- get you in here first because you've, you've been on top of this for the last week. Last week on, on, on Monday show, we talked a lot about Valiant. But since then, <laughs> we've seen a lot of news um, yeah, about lot, this company. Yeah, a lot has happened, right. Yeah. yeah. Um, can you catch us up, just sort of what's happened since then? Sure. So um, last, uh, early last week, last Tuesday, the stock fell more than 50%. And it fell because the company said that it, uh, you know, uh, could end up in violation of some debt covenants if it didn't get its um, 10K filed by late April and uh, it really didn't give much assurance that that was going to happen. And then today, I mean, that, w- that was crazy in and of itself. It was a, it was a wacky day. Um, in addition, there was a they, they released earnings. They cut their 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 guidance. Yeah. Guidance they, was ugly. The guidance was ugly. They they um, they they had this very contentious call with the analysts, and and then after that, the analysts turned on them because the analysts up until that point had, had sort of stayed with that company and had its back. Right now, they're fleeing. They're fleeing. And now now today, Monday, we come in. We think you know the slate's clean. Let's see what happens. And then the stocks halted, and Michael Pearson, the CEO, who who sort of turned the company into what it is today. It, they, they announced that he's leaving. They announced that Bill Ackman, you know, of Pershing Square, big hedge fund investor who has 9% stake in the company, they announced he's joining the board, joining another Pershing Square um, executive on the board. And that may not even be the craziest thing that happened today because the, the, the former CFO who is also on the board was asked to leave the board and he refused to. And... But the the company threw the C, the former CFO under the bus and said that he may have been part of the problem with some sort of accounting restatement that they had previously announced. And he there's now this war of words between the ex CFO who's still on the board and will and, be in the boardroom and and was also the the CEO that filled right, in for and Pearson filled in for when Pearson when Pearson was off for two months with a medical condition and and, and Schiller the CFO Schiller he was also I think credited along with Pearson with sort of. The you know creating Valiant. Are you creating the business model that, that yep. created Valiant? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's a, he's a former Goldman Sachs banker who essentially was brought in house to do all of Valiant's deals, and that was their whole structure. And he is very closely tied to this, which is why he was named interim CEO because it was sort of like, well, if Mike Pearson, the guy who built this, isn't available, there's only one other person in the world that knows how to do this. It's Howard Schiller, and now they're f- essentially pushing both of them out. But. And we talked about this today. Like the stock is up, yeah. so you know, despite all, all this chaos, and also we also have to preface this by saying the stock was hammered right, very right, right. deeply last week. But the, the, the investors are reacting positively to this uh, news. Why is that? Why do you think sure. they're they like that? Sure, there there are definitely a couple hints in in the release, which is a very long, very detailed release, which is also a little bit of a change from what yeah, yeah. Valiant's been doing. Yeah. Uh, they went into minutia on this one. Um, essentially, the the key kind of points for why investors would be excited today is, well, one, I think it shows that the board is finally doing something and sort of willing to, to clean house and start fresh. Two, there is a comment in the release that this ad hoc committee that was formed last year to look into 
Valiant's relationships with the specialty pharmacy Philidor and and what led to this accounting issue. The they said in in the release that this committee is kind of near the end of its review and that doesn't expect to have any more fine or hasn't doesn't have anything uh, that would change the financials anymore other than this fifty eight million dollar move. Um, essentially, that's a signal that this special committee hasn't found there is no other shoe to drop here. We we found some quote I think it was uh, tone issues at the top of the company, which is right. why they're pushing out, uh, why they're kind of throwing Schiller and Pearson uh, under the bus here. But uh, other than that, there's no there's no massive accounting fraud. Essentially, is what they're saying today. And they also said uh, what what they couldn't say last week. They will file the 10K. They say by April 29th, which is the day before, they have to file it or possibly be in default. Um, so essentially, they they tried to ease investors' biggest concerns from last week. Now, the other question is for, you know, a company that, you know, has been built on this culture and on this compensation, how much of a rebuke is that, um, you know, for the company and also for, like, a lot of the hedge funds that were, you know, played a big role in supporting this company and the management and the top management? Definitely. I mean, for for the last couple of years, this company has been sold as uh, – they're changing the culture and they're changing the the conversation of what pharmacy companies are, what pharmaceutical companies are, right? That we don't need to spend all this money doing research. We can we can go in, we can cut uh, fat out of these companies. We can buy up uh, underperforming drugs and sell them at better prices and sell them better. And our strategy is based on these numbers. And Mike Pearson uh, was very much his compensation was very much tied to the performance of the stock, which. Uh, Value Act, the other hedge fund in here, the the San Francisco activist who's been in there since 2007 and hired Mike Pearson and structured his compensation. Value Act has gone around talking about how great his compensation structure is. Bill Ackman talked about how great his compensation structure was. Suddenly, all those things are are no longer gold stars, but kind of black marks. And it's... um, and what's it's in, pretty stunning. Especially with the compensation issue, what's interesting about this is in many ways, this is what companies have been you know, or good corporate governance has been pushing for. I mean, like, let's tie your, you know, the compensation of the CEOs to performance and delivering returns for shareholders, which was the job of, you know, you'd think Valiant's, you know, uh, top management. And then, you know, all of a sudden (laughs) that went bad, you know. Yeah, no, it's it's absolutely, it was viewed as, that's what I was saying, like, uh, Value Act is is kind of a very well-respected corporate governance investor. And... They touted this as like the future of how CEOs should be paid, and it, I mean it worked in spades. The the returns for Valiant, even with this ninety percent drop, were still astronomical from Mike Pearson's ascent. Um, it's uh, it's uh, there are definitely going to be some people rethinking what they've been saying for the last few years. Now, Dave, I, I think Value X stock is or sorry, um, uh, Valiant stock is down ninety percent from its peak from last August, roughly. Um, that may not account for today's I, I, yeah, climb, but yeah. but I think Value Act is still in the green, right? Value Act got in. It's something, uh, I, and I don't remember the number off the top of my. I, I think it's something eleven dollars or under, and the right. stock is still around thirty. Right. Um, and they also already sold uh, a billion dollars of their position when the stock was at two hundred last right. year. Right. Um, and it, it peaked at what over two sixty. Yeah, two two sixty. Um, so. That's it, one of the reasons why I think a lot of attention is being paid to Bill Ackman, who's getting just crushed. His position was about four billion, and now it's about a billion. Um, 
but value act is very closely tied to kind of the story. Yeah. Where where do you think this goes from now? Is this the sort of you know the bottom? Like have we, have we hit the bottom? Because like that's what everyone's in sort of looking for with Valiant. Is this like the bottom, and that you know they can get a fresh start and start you know uh, moving forward, even if it's not back to where <laughs> it was in August? I mean, I, I think they still have to. They can say all they want that this 10K is coming. I think they still have to get that document out, and they have to say the ad hoc committee is done, not just. We're pretty much done. We're still looking at a couple things. They need to say it's done. Um, and then there's and, a question of what kind of company they are after that. that I mean, that, you, you described that perfectly. Like, they they aren't a company that buys up drugs to raise the prices and slashes and, and burns and yep. financially engineers its way to a leaner company yep. anymore. Yep. They, they, they have to develop their drugs and, and um, you know, they have a few things that they were pinning their hopes on, you know, an irritable, irritable bowel syndrome drug and a you know, female libido drug that, you know, may or may not live up to expectations. But that's sort of where where, where the company will find success if it does. And right. the commercial at the Super Bowl did not bode well. <laughs> um, <laughs> they, they were, for those who don't know, they were ranked uh, among the worst uh, of the Super Bowl. They're not pretty commercials. No. Uh, they also, I mean, right, they now need a new CEO. Yeah. So we'll set the tone for what those things are and what this company goes to. And that's the other thing too is like I mean they're 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 changing their business model, but at the same time they also have to deal with a big debt load too. I mean like they're not going to have the same valuation that they once had. They have to deal with paying on down this debt load to be able to you know sort of move forward, and that's going to mean selling off you know some assets. Uh, right, Pearson, if Pearson's opinion still matters, uh, said you know they wouldn't be selling assets last week. We're, we'll have to see because Ackman has publicly already said maybe they should yeah. sell a little bit of Bausch and Lomb, um, which, if you think about it, is uh, I saw a report that that could be worth twenty billion on its yeah. own. Um, I think I think Valiant's currently trading at only like three times its earnings, so there's still a lot of room for this thing to go up if if you know they they clean up everything. But. I think that's a good place to end uh, uh, it here. We'll be right back to talk a little Merger Monday. I'm Veronica Dagger. Do you want to know how the rich invest, spend, and protect their money? Then listen to the Watching Your Wealth podcast. For more information, check us out at wsj.com slash podcasts and find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and now Spotify. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. Um, once again, we had a busy day on the M&A front. And surprising, given the market's turmoil that we saw this year, M&A has continued to sort of chug along. Um, we have Marie um, you know, here, join, join Marie Bidette, who's our uh, M&A editor, joining us. What, what, first of all, talk to us a little bit about what you saw with you know, Sherwin-Williams Valspar. That was a $9 billion deal announced um, this week. And had actually an interesting provision to deal with antitrust issues. Yeah, so the, the deal has a, a pretty interesting feature that actually includes a potential price cut. So if the divestitures in become too large, if antitrust regulators say you have to sell off too much or get rid of a lot of assets to make this deal happen, the deal includes an $8 price cut. So it starts at 113 a share and goes down to 105 if that if the divestitures come up to like 650 million. So it's a pretty significant decrease and it's a pretty rare feature you would see in a deal. The deal also includes a provision that allows the parties to walk away from the deal completely if the divestitures top 1.5 billion, which is a lot more typical of these kinds of deals. So 
It's a really interesting way of dealing with antitrust risk, which is something that's been on the minds of companies. There's been a lot more. There's been some stepped up. Um, you know, the, the the Justice Department's been a little bit more aggressive with antitrust for the past year or so. So it is kind of a, a, an interesting way around that um, problem. Of course, it does make it a lot more difficult to, for shareholders to decide whether or not this deal makes sense. Um, you know, a lot of it will depend on the timing of when shareholders vote. Um, but, you know, if, if they're asked to vote on the deal before the antitrust approval, they'll have to kind of guess a little bit on what the deal could be worth if the, you know, if, if regulators uh, ask for too much from the companies. Now, the other big story we had last week that is, once again, uh, a big story this week is the Starwood Marriott deal. And I think I butchered the, the name of the Chinese insurer that made a bid for um, uh, Starwood. Uh, yes. They, they, th- now, is Marriott going to win this or is Anbang going to, you know, come back? What's the sort of feeling out there right now? Well, Starwood's shares are, are trading higher, like, f- Three or four percent higher than the than Marriott's current bid, which is the that Starwood came out today and accepted this higher offer from Marriott after on Friday saying that the offer from Anbang was superior to Marriott's prior offer. It's about it's only about a dollar fifty three more than the Anbang offer. It's stock and cash, but more cash than it was stock, whereas before the Marriott offer was heavily weighted towards stock, and the Anbang offer is all cash. Um, I don't think this is over. I, I mean, it, you know, of course it could be, but but Anbang has been very aggressive buying um, hotel properties in the U.S. over the past couple of years. A few years ago, bought the Waldorf Astoria in New York. Just a few months ago, bought strategic hotels from Blackstone for six point five billion, and they've been on a this. It's a, it's it's seen as a way for Chinese um, acquirers to buy U.S. assets without running afoul of U.S. rules that prevent the, 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 that sort of restrict what they can buy in the U.S. Real estate's considered pretty safe bet for these buyers, so, and it's a relatively safe, you know, appreciating asset, or has been. Um, and the Waldorf was considered sort of an example of that because basically all the, you know, the leaders that come to New York from around the world would stay there, not as many maybe now, but um, when that got, you know, approval from uh, CFIUS, like that was seen as a a sign that, you know, uh, other real estate deals and other hotel deals will get approval. Right. And and so far they've been right on that front. So I think that there's a pretty good chance that they come back with a higher offer and investors seem to expect that to happen too. Um, You know, there are a few wrinkles in this latest um, agreement with Marriott that make it a little more challenging. That Marriott has a they increase the breakup fee for Marriott from four hundred to four hundred and fifty million, which isn't a huge amount, but it's something, and it gives Marriott it allows them to retain more of that first mover advantage that they had with being the first offer that signed up. Um, it also the agreement the way things work now. Starwood can't go back and negotiate with Anbang. Anbang has to come in with a higher offer for them for that to kick this off again. Mm-hmm. There's not it can't be like a it's not a um because it's no longer the the superior offer. Starwood can't really talk to them. It's, okay. it's stuck with the Marriott deal. So they could definitely come back with a higher offer and I think that there's a good chance they will, but it's not it, it's it's a little bit more complicated than it was on Friday. Now, the other interesting deal was the IHS market and 
this is high up in the story. You know, talks about it being another aver- inversion. These were supposed to <laughs> have ended what two summers ago, and and they've just continued. But this deal isn't just about being an inversion deal. It is more. We and we were talking about this more representative of the fact that the U.S. just has a very high corporate tax code. Yeah. So I think this this deal is really interesting because it's it's actually. Um, both on the inversion side, but also because it's one of the rare deals we've seen in this latest kind of in the merger boom we saw last year and the year before and still sort of continuing this year, that it's not um, just a, a, a like two companies with very similar businesses joining forces to grow bigger. Um, you know, in an absence of other types of growth, they, they join together to grow. This is two companies with pretty different businesses trying to combine and like cross sell their products yeah. to they're, you know, IHS sells data primarily to um, corporate clients and energy and in, in just industrial data market is primarily financial data to Wall Street clients. Um, the idea is to, to bring those two things together and, and cross sell to each other's clients, which um, they're saying could produce revenue gains of $100 million over the next three years. Um, but, but the, synergies, the synergies which sort of back that point up are relatively low that they're expecting. Right. I think there's like something like 700 million <clears throat> by 2019 or something like yes. that. Yes. So, that, yeah, the synergies are relatively uh, – it seems to be more of a, a bet on revenue growth. Um, but there is also this inversion angle. The IHS is based in – the U.S. market is based in London. IHS is the bigger company, but the the new company will be headquartered in London, and that seems to be a pretty straightforward attempt to – Lower taxes, even if it is a marginal decrease in tax, you know, burden. The two companies are roughly of equal size. IHS is a little bit bigger, um, so it's not not like an inversion where you've got a much bigger U.S. company moving overseas by buying a much smaller foreign company, which seems to be what the inversion uh, rules that were introduced a few years ago by the Treasury Department were designed to combat. This is a little bit more of an equal um, deal, so it doesn't the, the um, the the bankers and those behind the deal don't seem to think that this will be an issue that that it'll have any run into any trouble on the inversion front. We had a story in today's paper just talking about the concern that M and A bankers are having toward leverage loans and sort of high yield you know sort of debt and sort of staying away from it a little bit. I mean, not fully, but they're having concerns about, you know, it getting stuck on their books. Is is that going to be, do you see that, or from what you're hearing, is that going to pose a threat to sort of the M&A boom that we've had since, you know, you know, it even goes back before 2015. It really goes back to sort of the end of 2014. Yeah. Um, I think it, it definitely in the margins with lower rated companies, you'll start to see a lot more Deals kind of falling apart because they can't get the financing. Private equity um, deals have already been, it's you know, leverage buyouts have already been a little trickier. Um, but even big uh, corporate deals where there's a lot of junk debt that would be financing the deal will definitely be a little more challenging. Investment grade deal deals with that where the buyers are selling investment grade debt to finance the deal seems to they seem to be doing just fine. Like the AB Inbev deal, they've they've sold something like forty three billion dollars in debt. Um, investment grade debt, and that that I think there was it was oversubscribed. So, and already there were like there were issues just from a regulatory standpoint with the Fed and stuff like that about piling too much debt onto companies, anyways. So this doesn't seem like it necessarily you know puts that much of cold water on the M and A market. No, and, and that that had started that that was hurting private equity firms more than anyone because yeah. they but but 
yeah, th- th- that was already a pressure and something people were thinking about. So I don't think that this is this is the the like nail in the coffin of the M and A boom, but it's definitely a challenge and one that you know, that that people are looking at closely. And as the markets have sort of rebounded now, how is the high yield markets followed? Um, you know, for for M and A. The junk market broadly has has rebounded, but the market for M and A seems to still be relatively choppy. The, okay. the junk bond market and the leverage loan market. I think that's a good place to wrap it up. Join us uh, this Friday for Financial Food Fight. This has been Steve Grosser with David Benoit, Eric Holm, and Marie Badet.